He was out here jamming. I, I keep forgetting that um, my man Newman can play two cajones up here, two boxes. And I was like, go ahead, brother. I thought, I thought we came multitask, but he said it, we, it can be done. Well, uh, good afternoon, everyone. I want to, uh, before we jump into the message, if you didn't notice in the very back of the auditorium, we do have our invites in for our regional midweek coming up June 20th, which will also include our vacation Bible school, which will start the full duration uh, of it. And if you haven't seen it, we have some juicy topics that we're going right. to tackle. And when I say juicy, I really mean juicy, <laughs> just not literally, right? But it says, how did we get the Bible? We're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, the baptism of it, tongues, gifts. We're going to talk about the different roles and relationships of the church. Our second to last one, we're going to talk about hot topics, sex, alcohol, and drugs. And how does that mix with Christianity, right? It shouldn't, at least in its place. Amen. And then the plan of salvation. What does God say is the way to follow him? What does he say? It don't, it don't matter what I say. It don't matter what you guys say. It matters his word of God. So it's going to be great. We have it titled Defending the Faith because each and every one of us need to be ambassadors for God. Amen. So please pick up a, a few of these as you go out. Uh, it will be in Fairview. So some of that, some of you guys, that's fairly close, but a lot of us, that's far away. So uh, as I was talking to my leaders Friday, we might have to bring the bus ministry back. Or we might, we have to get it going again. And, you know, you honk twice and, and come on out. But let's talk. If you think you're going to have a hard time getting there because you don't drive at night or whatever the case may be, please speak with someone because this is going to be an opportunity for all of us to increase our faith, to grow in our depth of knowing the word of God, uh, and also for our children to have a great time as well. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's go to God in prayer, and then let's jump into his word. Amen? Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to you this afternoon, I just thank you for showing us the way, for not leaving us in the darkness, not leaving us in our sin, but showing us Jesus giving us your word, and giving us the opportunity to apply it in our lives. I thank you for the friends and family that we have here, worshiping you, taking time out of our week to humble ourselves before you. I pray as we get into our word, into your word, that our hearts are soft, that our ears are open, and that we're ready to apply what we learn from your word. We thank you again for giving us truth and a truth that leads to godliness. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, if you missed our time of worship together last week, we looked at Titus chapter 1 and the concept of truth leading to grace by godliness. And that was our opportunity for our graduates. That was their graduation Sunday. So we gave them a checklist of what they need before they leave home. As they get ready for college, they get ready for the next chapter in life. 
And we saw that truth, it doesn't come from man. It comes from God and it comes from his word. And we answered the question, what should we do with truth? We should get truth, we should apply truth, and we should defend it. One of the scriptures that we looked at was just the concept of how truth can lead us to godliness. How truth in itself, that's not enough. We got to embrace it. We got to let it lead our lives. And once that happens, the fruit should be godliness. Amen? Amen. And this week, we will see what that fruit should look like within our lives. What should it look like for a 25-year-old man? What should it look like for a 35-year-old woman? What should it look like for a 17-year-old teen? And whatever demographic you're in, we'll be able to see some of it. I want to show a quick picture here. Godliness, what is it? What is godliness? And the sermon is titled, Overseers Want It. Overseers Want It. We're going to go into more depth than that uh, here in a bit. But let's do so by turning our Bibles to Titus chapter 1. All right, if you guys could turn to Titus chapter 1, we're going to start reading here in verse 1 here in a second. But before we turn there, what is godliness? What is it? You know, how, how would you describe what godliness is? Just looking at the word, you're like, okay, it, it must have something to do with God, right? You know, we can pick up that much. And a lot of times we may think maybe it's a holier-than-thou type attitude, right? Is that godliness? No. You know, I like this uh, little picture here. He said, don't make me use my holier-than-thou voice, right? That's not what godliness, that's not what we're talking about here. Godliness, it's a devotion to, it's a reverence for God. It's our inner response to what God is doing to us. It's us responding to the awesomeness that God has already displayed with us, even before we realize it was him doing the work. Amen? Now, the question I have for you guys is why? Why would you even want to choose godliness? Why would you even want to do that? Here, before we looked at uh, Titus chapter 1, in Titus 3.3, 3, I'll read it to you guys. It says... At one time, we too were foolish. We were disobedient. We were deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We live in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Why should we choose godliness? Because, guys, we are a mess, right? Left to our own devices. You know, look, look, look at this baby. I mean, he's, he's still cute, all right? But that's, that's how we are sometimes, right? Yeah. We're not in our word. We're not praying to God. We're not letting it manifest and do what it does in our life. We, we go crazy. We start hating other people. Other people start hating us. And the world is just not a good place to be. So why choose godliness? Because, guys, if we don't do it, it it's going to be like hell on earth. 
because we're going to choose what we want to do as opposed to what really promotes the community and kingdom of God. So if you came in here, you're like, oh, no, I don't want to be godly, Clint. Hopefully that gives you at least a little reason because God can clean us up. Amen. Amen. So let's turn back to um, Titus chapter one and start reading here because we're going to read a little bit about how we can absorb what God wants to give us when it comes to being godly. Here in verse one, I'll read verse one through four real quickly. He says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to what? Godliness. A faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And at his appointed season, he brought his word to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true son, in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, in here we see there in verse 1 that truth, it leads to godliness. It's the precursor to us being like Jesus and being like God. But we also see that that faith, that knowledge is based and is fueled even and surrounded by a hope of eternal life one day. That this world that we see right now, this is not the end all be all, but we're going to be with God. We're going to be with Jesus. We're going to be with all those that were transformed by the truth in heaven one day, amen? Amen. And because of this hope, it fuels us. When we want to be like the baby with, with all the mess on it, it reminds us that God made us to be perfect. He made us to be flawless. And that he's going to restore that one day in heaven, amen? But hope, that's essential to our godliness. Because what happens in life, right? You try to be godly. I try to be forgiving. We try to be patient for an hour, for four hours. Maybe for the whole day, at least from when I wake up or when I go to sleep. But then if other people are not reciprocating that to us, what do we do? You're like, oh, man, I tried. Stacy, I tried. I tried. I did it for 12 hours. I was godly. And we forget about the hope that's on the other side of the rainbow, right? We, we forget that we have an eternal life that Jesus ended up using to the point that he suffered on the cross. So hope is essential to us when it comes to living a godly life. The thing I want to focus on is, okay, what does godliness look like? What does it look like? What does it look like in our lives? What does it look like within our households? What does it look like when we're at our job? What does it look like with our demeanor, with both the lost and the saved? And we're going to look at that by looking at the qualifications of elders. Because it's, it's, it's something that Paul talks to Titus 
about truth leading to godliness. And then he goes into the qualifications of the overseers, of the shepherds. And let's look at chapter or chapter 1, verse 5. And let's see some of the terms that really help us to be godly, okay? All right, let's read. We're going to read a little bit here. We're going to read verse 5 through 9. It says, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town, as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's word, he must be blameless. So what is blameless? Not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Verse 8, rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. You know, we got this picture of the island of Crete. And Paul tells him that he needs to go and appoint elders where? In every town. I want you to go to every town, every place, where there's a household of churches, I want you to appoint elders that fit this description. You think about how many towns we have represented just in this room. We have Richardson, we have Garland, we got Wiley, we got Plano, we got Murphy, we have Mesquite, we have Box Springs, we have Dallas, we have Wiley, St. Paul, we got Saxe, and everywhere else. Sunnyvale. There you go. I saw you smiling, Jason. You're like, come on, brother. I want an elder too. Right? So you got all these different towns. He said every town, all these different households, we must have people that fit this bill. And I think about we have six elders in a church of how many? About 1,200. In Dallas County, which is our 9 a.m. and 12 p.m., we have Walt accompanied by his wife, Kim. And that's about 250 people. Let me ask you guys, how big do you think the households were in each town in Crete? Yeah, 20, 30 people? And he said for every household, for every 20 to 30 people, you need to look for people that fit this bill. What does that show? Is that we got some work to do, right? We got some work to do. Why? Why did he say this needs to happen? We looked at it a little last week because he says we need people that can hold firmly to the trustworthy message, which is Christ. We need people that will be able to refute those that are not preaching and teaching sound doctrine and instead be able to preach it. And not only teaching it and preaching it, these people must be living this out. 
It's not just a head knowledge. It's a life. And Titus was instructed by Paul to go look for these people, to go find these people. And we got highlighted here the different descriptions that we have. And let me ask you guys this. How many of you guys wake up in the morning or woke up at any time this year or even in the last two or three years thinking, I need to be living out these qualities. I need to be living out. I need to find out what it means for me to be blameless, to be self-controlled. And I'm not just talking about the guys here. Paul was addressing the men as elders. But these qualities are for everyone. And I was sharing with the, the children's ministry class earlier. I remember the first time hearing this read, the qualifications of elder. I was probably, I wasn't married yet. I, I wasn't even dating at that point. So I was probably 20, 21, 22 years old. I wasn't even dating my wife yet. And when I heard this, the guy preaching, he said, who wants to be this? And I said, right here, bro, me. And I remember I was, I was sitting on the front row, and I looked back, and I was the only one with my hand up. I was like, what? what's, what's happening? How would anybody not want this to describe them, right? To be a great manager of my household. For my children not to be wild and disobedient. Just for that sake, I want to be an elder, right? But we see this at times and we think, oh, yeah, that's for someone else. That's for, that's for the next guy. This is for every town. And some towns might need multiple of these people. Because how many demons do you think Satan has? How many people do you think Satan has working for him? That their list is just as exhaustive as this list, but it's on the opposite side. And it really brings to point that, man, we need every single one of our members, every one of the disciples thinking about how I can grow in these. Because I remember as a 21-year-old, I like, this is not going to happen overnight. And frankly, it probably won't happen in the next 17 years. I'm 38 years old now. It still is taking mo- multiple times of God and his word transforming me. But do you think we need to wait till we're 50 years old to start doing this? Do you think we need to wait till we're 75 and a half to start doing this? No. We need to do this before we get a spouse if we're not married. We need to start working on these before we have children if we don't have children. We need to start working on these before we have grandchildren, if we don't have grandchildren. It starts today because the enemy has already started. He's already doing the work. And Paul knew that this needs to happen on a local level. This can't be something that's regulated over a a 30-mile radius. That you got one couple running around trying to help, trying to preach sound doctrine, trying to live it out. That's, that's not how God intended it. He intended the wolves to be shepherds and overseers. He intended the Mosleys, take your pick, 
to be overseers, right? He intended for the Sutherlands, for the Ponts, for the Inslees, for the Madrids, for the Lords. He, he intended for all of us to go after being those that truly want to exemplify what Jesus is doing in our life. Amen. So what do we do? What do we do? We have to, number one, we got to hold firmly to his message. You know, we got, we got all these different qualities. And this would be a great quiet time for all of us, is to break these down uh, and see in our lives, like, okay, what have I been focusing on? You know, some of we're working on some of these already. These are some of the things that we've been working on in that character. But some of them, we're like, man, I haven't even thought about that. I haven't thought about it. You know, one of the ones that I'm working on personally is being a manager of my household. You know, this is very, very important when it comes to the light that I have the opportunity to shine. And frankly, it just doesn't go for those that are married with kids. Because there's other households that are out there, right? We got singles households. We may have campus households. And the question I have for myself and for us that live in the households is, what is your household like? What is it like? You know, I, I, I hear of households where you may have four, five, six people in it, but we have no idea of how anybody in our household is doing spiritually. We come home, we go in our room, we read a book, we play video games, we watch television, and we could care less about what's happening to the other disciples that live in my house. That's, that's not the kingdom and community that our God has set up. God didn't sacrifice his son Jesus so that you can be in the room by yourself reading a book. Even if it is the Bible, because what we got to do, we have to live it out. And you can't live out the Bible and really not effectively by yourself. Love, you got to have another person there to love somebody, right? To be kind, it has to be another person there. To be not overbearing, it must be a person that's there that you have an opportunity to be overbearing too, right? God has created his kingdom to be a community, for us to be hospitable, to us to love what is good, to us to be self-controlled. Then when people see our lives and they see that, that's, that's going to make an impact. That's, that's going to speak much more volumes than any sermon that can be preached in a church service. When they see the way that we respond to our wives, when they see the way that we respond to someone who wronged us and where we feel justified, that, oh, I should be able to go off on this person now. Somebody sees you and they're like, oh, he, he just forgave that person. He just returned their bitterness with kindness and compassion. Because that's what we learn from Jesus, right? When we get baptized in the name of Jesus, when we get baptized in the, in the Son, 
the Father and the Holy Spirit, we're professing that we're going to follow that Jesus. That the way that he did things are the way that we are going to do things. The way that he responds is the way that we will respond. So it makes it very clear to me is that we should have, in a room full of about 130 people here, we should have more than one person that fit this description. Be it appointed or not, we should have more than one person that fit this. Amen? So the question is that, what do we need to do? Number one, okay, we need to start focusing, right? We need to start focusing on this. But the other thing is holding to his message. Turn with me real quickly to Romans chapter 10. Uh, keep your place there in Titus because we're going to come back to it. But in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, Paul says that these men, bless you, they need to hold to the trustworthy message and to be able to defend sound doctrine. Because what was happening there in Titus is that there were people that were ruining whole households because of their teaching. Because of them not holding to the truth, but instead was preaching their own word for their own selfish gain. So it's very important for us to not only hold to the trustworthy message, but as Paul had mentioned, trust the trustworthy message that you have been taught. Not the things that the false teachers were teaching you, but what they heard from the apostles, what they heard from the mouth of Jesus. Let's look at Romans chapter 10, verse 9 through 13, because this scripture is a prime example of why we need to hold firmly to the word of God. Amen? Paul writes there to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. He says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We have an awesome scripture here where Paul is laying out for, for the guys here, for, the, for the, the church there in Rome, that we got to confess Jesus is Lord. We must believe, we must trust, we must have faith in Jesus. But then sometimes when this is preached, they talk about just saying Jesus is Lord. And it's definitely a difference between, between saying Jesus is Lord and confessing Jesus is Lord, right? I can say a lot of things. But when I confess something, that means I did something, right? If I confess to giving false testimony to my brother. That's because 
I gave false testimony to my brother. If I confess to loving my wife with all my heart, mind, soul, and spirit, that means that's something that I'm doing, right? I'm not just saying it. I'm doing it. And a lot of times, people that have the position that I have where you get an opportunity to preach the word of God, instead of preaching it as the word of God, we put our own little spin to it. And we say, hey, you just need to come up here and just say that Jesus is Lord. They have no idea what it is to follow Jesus. They have no idea that this word should be my standard. They have no idea that Jesus is my new captain now. And what happens? We don't have people that are blameless. We have people that, that want to do good. You know, like Casanova was saying, they, he wanted to do good. He wanted to do good works. But he didn't have the truth. Paul was telling the church here, and I'm telling you guys now, is that this should be the aim for every single person in here to be able to help someone come to the truth. Not to to embrace modern-day Christianity, but to embrace Christ. Not to embrace theology, but to embrace the Word of God. And guys, when we do that, and as we continually, fervently do that, People will want to know more about this Jesus. People want to know more about having this transformed life that they thought they had, that they wanted to have, but then realized when someone sat down and loved them enough to teach them the truth and show them the truth, they see, I was missing Jesus. I knew about him, but I didn't even know that I really needed to follow him. (laughs) And that can blow our minds sometimes that people can think that. But remember, we too were disobedient, foolish, hating and hating others. So I got two practicals for us. Just two things for us to chew on for this week. To answer the question, what's next? What do we do with this, Clint? What do we do? How do we use this scripture for the glory of God? Number one. We must live in God's grace. We got to live in the goodness of God. Acts chapter 11, verse 23. This is right after uh, Cornelius. Um, uh, Peter had preached to him. They received the Holy Spirit, and they're like, man, Gentiles can be saved too. And Acts chapter 11, verse 20 says that when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. When we get a taste of grace, when we get taste of the gift that we have that God so graciously given to us through Jesus Christ, we have an opportunity to respond to it. Not only respond to it, but to remain true in that grace that we received from God. And to live there. And sometimes it's tough for us to receive grace, right? Sometimes it's tough for us to receive gifts. When we're kids, we do very well at it. 
But then as we get older, for some reason, we don't want to receive the gifts anymore. We want to be the gift giver, right? I'm like, here, let me give you the gift. Let me serve. But then when somebody try to serve us, it's like, no, hey, hey, let me do that, right? God is showing us is that I'm the ultimate gift giver. But you got to be ready to receive it. You got to be ready to unwrap it. But then after we unwrap it, to be ready to live in it, to apply it, and then to defend it, as we talked about last week. So, number one, we must live in God's grace. And I love, it's not up here, but in chapter 2 of Titus, Paul writes, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. When Jesus came and died and was resurrected, we got to get everyone has an opportunity to receive that gift in Jesus. But unfortunately, not everyone wants to do the next part, to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. That becomes a little harder for us, right? That becomes, and unfortunately, in modern-day Christianity, in a lot of circles, they're like, okay, it's going to be all right. Yeah, you don't really have to be transformed. You don't really have to follow Jesus. You just, just live life. God loves you so much that why would he want to condemn you? That's not a trustworthy message, guys. And it's plenty of our family and friends who are thinking that. And we have the opportunity to love them enough. And I, and I plead with you, love them enough to show the truth to them. Because we were shown the truth. And we had an opportunity to transform. And the second practical, what's next? We must live life with others. As I mentioned earlier, God distributed his gifts, his people, for us to be able to really edify one another, not for us to hoard for ourselves. And even when you think about this, these characteristics, in order for Titus to appoint an elder, he must be able to see those things, right? He must know the person, and that person must be known. The question I have for us is who knows you? Who knows you? Who, who knows how you treat your husband or your wife? Who knows how you speak to your children? Who knows what kind of coworker you are at your job? Who knows what kind of student you are in your high school? And then once they do know it, does it point them back to Jesus? Because that's what we're here for, right? We're a bunch of mirrors reflecting the love we get from Christ onto other people. Overseers are wanted. Frankly, overseers are needed, amen? Amen. All these different towns I just enumerated, we need it. We need the overseers. We need people 
where all the different small groups, because those small groups, those households that we were talking about earlier, they sound awfully lot like Bible talks, don't they? They sound like small groups where you have singles and marrieds. You have different people together. They're living with Christ together. So we got a map here of the Metroplex. We got all these different places. And right now we got a dot in Murphy of an elder. And that's it. That's what we have right now in the Dallas County. Who's going to be the next elder that fit this description in Plano? Who's going to be the next elder in Garland? Who's going to be the next elder in Sunnyvale, in Mesquite, in Balk Springs, in Dallas, in Terrell, in Forney, in Fate, in Rockwall, in Rowlett, in Athens, in Wiley, in Saxe, in Addison? Who's going to be the one that's going to answer the call to not only read the word of God, but to let it marinate in their soul. Not only let it change them inside, but let it change them outside so that God and his kingdom receive the glory. Amen. Amen. Overseers are wanted. We have them in this room. It's just now time for us to continue to embrace what we have in God's true word and let him transform us and he will get the glory. Amen. 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 Thank you. Mm-hmm.